Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Something a little bit different today. I'm talking to Jake Yoakum Pyatt, who is project lead on a cryptocurrency called Decred. Now, this is a, a little known cryptocurrency, but it's one I rather like. And uh, as I think you'll discover, I think you might by the end of this conversation, come to quite like it as well, even if you are a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, so Jake and I, we've exchanged messages, but this is the first time we've actually met uh, in real life, except we're not actually in real life because we're on either ends of a Zoom call and he's somewhere in the United States and I'm in, in wet and rainy London. But nevertheless, Jake, why don't we start by giving us a quick background on who you are and how you came to be involved in Decred. And in fact, I think you might have even started Decred. So let's just give us a bit of background. For sure. Um, let's see. I've been working in the cryptocurrency space since uh, late 2012 and early 2013. Uh, I was first involved in, you know, in Bitcoin. I thought it was interesting. I had always kind of had it. On, I had it on my radar since roughly 2011. I saw that, wow, you can send and receive payments, and there's no bank. That's really I that you know that caught my eye. But it wasn't. So something... were you were you a, a a developer or a coder? What was your interest in it? Well, my, my, my interest is really, you know, historically that I've been sort of a sysadmin and I've run a number of other businesses. So I met with some success in other businesses I had run. So I decided to sort of get involved in the cryptocurrency space because I had a team of developers who were working on a, uh, a product we called CypherTide at the time. It was incredibly unsuccessful. So I guarantee you almost no one has heard of it. And what it was is it was a service where you could encrypt your data and store encrypted data with us, where we basically have no custody over the actual data. We just have these encrypted bits. And then, you know, people come and fetch it as necessary. So, so it was like an encrypted cloud in a way. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, and, and that is sort of what led it, it put us adjacent to what Bitcoin was doing, because like Bitcoin, right, is a non-custodial network. So we were doing sort of non-custodial data backup. And then we, we sort of ended up migrating over into and pivoting to Bitcoin. Uh, I think this was, yeah, in, in late 2012, early 2013. Okay. And so when you say, so you and your developers began working on Bitcoin? Yeah. So what we did is that first we first we showed up and we tried to work on Bitcoin Core a little bit, and we thought that was we thought that was interesting. It's written in C plus plus, we we weren't huge fans of C plus plus because uh, you know there's language problems with it and so on. But we tried to contribute, and that was uh, challenging. To, I think would be would be uh, the the the, uh, the muted way to say it. And so when we encountered some pushback, things. What do like, you mean? What do you mean challenging? Well, challenging in the sense that that the developers were at least nominally hostile to us making contributions that is that we showed up and we ran you know some test coverage code to be like hey is this code working right and it's like my developers find some issues we point them out and rather than going hey thanks for helping you know like you know and sort of keeping us moving it immediately turned into oh well we don't care about this operating system and oh those tests don't matter and it's like whoa 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 we're trying to we're trying to you know help. No, we're not, we're not here to try to cause problems. And then after that point, we basically got the impression that if we wanted to meaningfully contribute to the Bitcoin space, we had to do it outside of Bitcoin core. And okay. Then, so you met, you met resistance. I mean, it was that people had their, like sometimes when an outsider goes into a company, for example, and they start trying to shape the company up, the company's already got, everyone's got their little territory within the company and they don't want it violated because it upsets the existing balance. Was, it, was there a bit of that going on? Yeah, exactly. Which is that, you know, everyone sort of had their place and had their, you know, had their position and had their context. 
and we came in and even it wasn't even uh, a very acute shaking up. I just had one of my developers start going through the code and be like, hey, I really would like to get this running on a different operating system, OpenBSD. And that alone seemed to really ruffle their feathers in a way that was just, it was really counterproductive for us. And it seemed like it was counterproductive for them. So we're like, you know, after a little, you know, another week or two of that, we're like, you know what, we should do something else that doesn't involve Bitcoin Core. Okay. So, and, and what was the reward that you would have received? Because it's an open source project and you've got a team of developers. How are they being paid? They're being paid by me. I would have literally received nothing for doing this. I was just doing this because I thought it was interesting and I'd like to have it run on the operating system of my choice. And in theory, that's not a very difficult task to, uh, you know, to complete. But, you know, when, when people who are involved with the project basically go like, stop, I don't want you to do that or get out of here, you're being a jerk. It, it, it becomes very difficult. So in, in light of that, we just decided to do our own thing. And basically, we decided to recreate Bitcoin Core from scratch in another programming language called Go. So we did that. And that, that took like probably three years. And we worked- How many of you? Uh, I think there was a team, the team varied between like five and 10 people over that period. So I probably threw a couple million dollars at this, you know, because I thought it was interesting. I think, and I had recognized at that point that I think, Bitcoin and non-custodial payment networks were really sort of the, you know, that's the path of the future. And I did that. So when you say you threw a couple of million dollars at this, that suggests somebody who's made, already made quite a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Ah, uh, well. You <laughs> and know, what's your secret? Uh, I have, you know, I, I have a lot of things that I've done in the past. Uh, I, I previously worked in chemical engineering and I met with a lot of success there. I, I find that the work was really quite boring. And, you know, I'd rather not sort of tire your, uh, your, your, you know, your listeners with, with that topic or domain, but, you know, I made a lot of money there. And so I'm good at doing things like organizing things, uh, you know, system administration work, uh, process management, and, you know, basically running complex things to completion. So I'm, I'm good at managing projects and getting things done. And, you know, at the end of the day, making money out of it. And this couple of million dollars was just sort of like a speculative investment in a way for you. In yeah. something that interested you that you thought might lead to something. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, uh, it, I'd been uh, involved with open source on and off for several years prior to this in the sense that, you know, even CypherType, which I mentioned earlier, was mostly open source. So, you know, that when you're running the client code on your machine, you can see all the source code. And I and I've, I'd also worked with a number of uh, developers on the OpenBSD project. So there's a bunch of work that I had done in the past. And I, you know, I paid for it and contributed to these uh, to these code bases with the understanding that the work is public and then ends up getting uh, then ends up getting used by other people more or less freely. And so that idea and that sort of uh, philosophy was something that I was familiar with before I started getting involved with all this. And then I just saw this sort of as an outgrowth of that. Of that approach. I see. So how old are you? Oh, I am, uh, let's see, I'm 40 right now. So okay. yeah, that was, and I guess this was a while ago. So it was like 2012 that I got in, involved with Bitcoin. So I was like 32 or something at the time. I'm always very impressed by the, the youth of America's millionaires, but there we go. That's an old Englishman talking. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you, you've, you've slightly got the hump with um, Bitcoin Core and you've gone away and you've developed your own uh, system that's taken you three years and it's cost you, you know, a, a, a six, is this six, seven figure, a seven figure sum. Um, what happens next? Well, what happened then is, is uh, I think in 2014, 
um, I had, I had, you know, and while 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 the development of this alternative uh, Bitcoin software called uh, BTC Suite was going on, I met with a couple uh, pseudonymous people online that went by the names of Taco Time and Ingsoc. So these two these two characters had pushed me to look at a uh, a white paper that that uh, Taco Time had uh, had been involved with for this thing called Memcoin Two. And what Memcoin Two was 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 Memcoin two, the Memcoin two paper came out in like April 2013, and I hadn't read it. So basically, it was it was put in front of me in late 2013 by them, and the uh, and, and then they had pushed me to read it. And what it was is it was effectively sort of a variation upon um, what's it called a peer coin. And what peer coin had done is was effectively hybridized proof of work and proof of stake consensus systems. So instead of people just doing calculations to extend a blockchain, which is proof of work there was an added component where you had to control a certain amount of the coins in order to contribute to the consensus system. So that, for example, a block would be uh, you know, effectively mined where there's the computation done by the proof of work miners, and then the proof of stake miners come along and validate it so that, so that they go, oh, hey, here's this candidate block, and then we're gonna rubber stamp it. And if for any reason they don't rubber stamp it, then that block could be invalidated. So what the, the difference is, is that say in the case of PeerCoin, this system was, um, it was a relatively simple system. It was based on coin, coin age. I don't want to get too far into the deals, details there because that's a bit off in the weeds. But the, 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 the thing that really drew my attention about Mem, the Memcoin 2 proposal was that it, it basically it turned the secondary proof of stake uh, system, it turned it into a lottery where basically people lock their coins for a certain amount of time to, bu to buy a ticket. And I say buy because they lock the coins and the coins unlock. Then the ticket goes into a lottery, and then every block, five of these five of these tickets are chosen, and those five tickets effectively validate the proof of stake component of of every block. And this system really got my attention because it bore a huge amount of similarity to how proof of work works, in the sense that if you control, say, ten percent of the miners on a network, you end up mining roughly ten percent of the blocks. And in this case, it's 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 very similar. If you control ten percent of the tickets, you end up getting roughly ten percent of the votes. And and there were also other other sort so if, of things. When you say proof of stake, it's it's a little bit like having shares and having shareholder votes. Is that a fair enough analogy? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair analogy. But it, but the difference, of course, being that say with a shareholder with a share, it's a share in a centralized corporation. And in the context of proof of stake, it's it's effectively coins or tickets or you know what's what's effectively a share in a cryptocurrency, right? So there's no sort of centralized entity that's, you know, that's uh, administrating the shares. Yeah. I mean, I always saw owning Bitcoins as a bit like having shares in the protocol, if that makes sense. And I've, I've made that analogy a few times. But with proof of stake, not only do you have shares in the protocol, you actually get a say in how the protocol is developed. Is that is that fair enough? Exactly. I'm just trying to put all this in layman's language. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that that's I think that that's really uh, uh, that's an apt analogy uh, because right when it's proof of work, the people who are doing the proof of work are almost like you could think of them almost like the bookkeepers at a centralized corporation. That is that somebody needs to make sure the books balance. Somebody needs to make sure that you know the uh, you know that the books are kept and that are shown to auditors and stuff like that. That's effectively what the uh, you know what the proof of work miners are doing. And then the proof of stake layer, once you start getting into that, is just like you pointed out. It's very much like the shareholders. And then the shareholders become effectively stakeholders, and the stakeholders can can do things to direct the currency in a way that the uh, proof of white work miners really can't. 
And I think something that's worth pointing out, and it's the same thing in the, in the context of a shareholder, is, is that a shareholder has their incentives pretty strongly aligned with those of the corporation that they're a shareholder of, right? They want the corporation to, to succeed because they want their shares to be valuable. Whereas if you're just a bookkeeper at a centralized corporation, you're just the guy who rubber stamps the transactions as, you know, as the corporation does them, your incentives are not very strongly aligned with those of the corporation. I've got you. So we've, we're developing this thing. What, what happens with this? Uh, I don't even know what it's called. B, BTCM? Is that right? Uh, oh, uh, oh, with BT, oh, you mean BTC Suite? The, uh, the BTC one Suite, yeah. Yeah, what ended up happening was, was effectively we, uh, we made the software. A handful of people ended up picking it up and using it and building upon it. Uh, for example, the, the, the uh, people at Lightning Labs who are sort of like the lead uh, Lightning Network uh, development outfit, they ended up picking up BTC Suite and used it as a library to build all of their LND stuff. So it did meet with- And were the Lightning developers weren't quite as proprietorial as the BTC core developers, is that, is that right or? Well, it's just, it, it, it's very different. Like the, uh, my perception is, is that with, with Bitcoin core, there was a lot of sort of uh, territorial behavior that is that people wanted to maintain their control. You know, like if you're a developer on a software project, pride and sort of standing are a huge deal to you. Whereas, you know, if you're a somebody who's getting paid well at a corporation to write code, you're not going to have quite the same sort of pride and ego problems that, that you're going to experience in an open source project where the stakes are nominally low. I've got you. So um, I'm, I'm just backpedaling a bit and I'm, I'm probably disorganizing your story. <laughs> but you've, these two chaps, these two pseudonymous chaps have have showed you this proof of stake. You've been persuaded by how um, good this proof of stake is. Let's go from there. Sure. So I, they showed this to me in late 2013. It took them another, you know, three to four months to convince me to, you know, get on board. Then in early 2014, devs started on this. And it took roughly two years from that point in private to develop it to the point where we had the consensus system done and working so that we could then release it. And we ended up releasing it in February 2016. And then shortly after that point, I, you know, we effectively stopped working on um, BTC Suite. I think that really stopped in sort of early 2017. But we had both projects going in parallel for a while. So it took us about two years to go from here's a white paper, we're going to agree to work on it to our launch. And when we launched, that was, uh, you know, we did a we did an airdrop where half of it was was effectively a pre mine for uh, company zero, which is, you know, the, the LLC that I'm the owner of, and I'm the CEO of, and the developers who worked with me, and then everyone else we did it 5050 half of it ended up getting airdropped to the public. So people showed up, they said, Hey, I want to sign up. And then we every all of those people got 282 decred in February 2016. So that's sort of where the network was birthed, which is that there was a two year dev process in private from early 2014 until early 2016. And then, okay. uh, and now, then from there, it's nominally public. Okay. Now, how much of the the lightning dev work that you did was actually used in in Bitcoin lightning in the lightning network? Uh, qu quite a lot of it, actually. So um, what ended up happening was the Lightning Network uh, developers at Lightning Labs 
had used BTC Suite as, as basically a basis. So BTC Suite had two components. There's a consensus daemon, which is basically the, the thing that runs and is connected to the internet all the time and, and tracks the blockchain and enforces consensus rules. And then there's the wallet that's attached to it, which we call BTC Wallet. So there's BTCD and BTC Wallet. They ended up taking BTC Wallet and then turned it into a Lightning Wallet. So, so they picked that up and started running with that sometime, I think, later in 2016. So th that's been developed and built up since then. So it's basically been actively developed by the Lightning Labs devs since then. And what we actually ended up doing is their work with, uh, you know, with LND uh, ended up being cutting so close and using our BTC suite uh, libraries that we actually end up porting it back over to Decred. So now we have Lightning Network on Decred based on the work from Lightning Labs. Okay, so and do you feel that your team has sort of got the recognition it deserves for the work it did on the Bitcoin Lightning Network? I feel like there's a lot of people who, you know, and this and, and this was actually a big part of the reason why we stopped doing the work is is that there are vested interests who are tied into, say, you know, the Bit, Bitcoin Core and Blockstream who really didn't want us involved in the network. Basically, who made a point to tell miners not to run our code, tell people not to run our wallet, and so we got effectively pushed out of there. And so, uh, hey. I don't really mind that we got pushed out and I don't really think we got very a whole lot of recognition for it, but I'm, I'm very happy to see that the code sort of found a new home with the lightning with the lightning labs devs and, and in LND. Because I mean, a lot of people, you know, when the big arguments were going on is you can't do micro payments with Bitcoin, it's too slow, the payment costs are too high. And then lightning sort of came along and solved all of those problems. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, really worship now at the altar of lightning and, and say what a, what a breakthrough it is. Um, a, a lot of that credit should perhaps go to, to you, not, not solely to your team, but some of it should go to your team. Yeah, and I mean, uh, something, that I, I feel like something that I've learned as I've gotten older is, is that so much of the world around us depends on narratives. And the narrative is that Bitcoin did it and, that, and, and the people who are the celebrities are the people who are the celebrities. And if you're not sort of on this list of oracles for the BTC project, you're basically nobody. And that's effectively what, you know, the sort of, the sort of recognition we've gotten, which is that people aren't going to, you know, even the people at Lightning Labs, they have their own sort of recognition that they need to, that they need to acquire and fight for. And, you know, even in their case, they know, they know what we did, but, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily incentivized to stand up and be like, whoa, these BTC suite people were awesome. They did such great work. And so, Basically, not a whole lot of people in the space really know who we are and what we did. And so that's also part of why we're not, we're, we're, you know, why we bailed on it. And I think that was sure. the decision. Um, I, I must say, I've worked on many uh, artistic projects over the years, films and, uh, and, and other things, and not being properly credited. And I mean, you get over it eventually. But when you see what you did being incredibly successful, and nobody going, hey, Dominic, that was brilliant. Well done. It is, it is galling. <laughs> it really is. It's great. I have some sympathy yeah. with that. But you have to, at the same time, you, and I think you've done this, but at the same time, you have to kind of go, you just have to wash your hands and move on and get over it because there's li very little else you can do. And at the bottom line is, you know what you did and you know what the other guy did. And, and I guess that's, that's where it ends. You know, God knows. 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, there's plenty of things I've worked on in the past and nobody knows about them. And, you know, that's, that's fine. I don't necessarily need to be, you know, I'm, I'm, not here for the, I'm not here for the fame so much as I'm here for the technological progress and moving the peg forward. So it's like, hey, if you don't know about my prior work, not that big a deal. But you know that's uh, that's that's the game. I'm I, I, I and just like you pointed out, I know what I did and I know what I what I and my devs accomplished. So it's like that's fine. Okay, you guys don't want to look at it or give it any credit. That's great. Okay, I'll move on and go do something else. Bye. Okay. Now, one of the things I heard someone say on a podcast was that in the crypto space, you know, with all whatever it is, eight and a half thousand currencies or probably more, um, those are just the ones on Coin Market Cap. Um, there are maybe 30 or 40 really good developers, guys, you know, coders who are really special. And of those 30 or 40, six or seven are working on the Bitcoin project and three or four are working on the Decred project. Is that um, rumor, that statement that I heard, is that, is that, is that true? I think that's pretty accurate. The unfortunate reality about the space is that there's just a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of people who just go, oh, I got a blockchain, give me $100 million or whatever. And then it's just basically a pump and dump game. And in terms of, in terms of content, we have some very, very strong developers who have their own ideas, their own, their own originality that they've brought to the project. And we've managed to not only retain them, but we slowly grow over time. And so what we've been doing is, is that, you know, hey, maybe we started, we had like one or two powerhouse devs. And then, hey, we pick up one, you know, every, every year or two, we'll pick up another one. And, and that process just keeps going. And I feel like- Is, a dev, is a, a dev and a coder are the same thing, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A developer is someone who writes and software, right? Tell me the names of, not on Decred, but just tell me the names of, you know, three or four of the most brilliant coders in the crypto space. What are their names? Because you, know, I don't know. How does one even get to hear their names? Well, let's see. So the the ones I would call out, and you have to remember too that my I have passing familiarity with a lot of chains, just because there's so many of them. So I can't keep yeah. track. Of them. If we just talk about Bitcoin, I mean, there's there's Peter Wella. I mean, he's really the train puller for Bitcoin Core, um, and you know, he's been doing that. He's he's been working on it since what, like 2014 or 2013. Um, there's, uh, what is it, uh, Lalu, who goes by Roast Beef at Lightning Labs. He's been writing the code with them since launch. Um, let's see, who else? There's Greg, I feel like Greg Maxwell, um, despite being nominally unpleasant at times, uh, is incredibly, he's, he's incredibly insightful and has, has done some very good work in the Bitcoin space, although he doesn't write a lot of, write much or any code nowadays, as far as I'm aware. Um, let's see, and then, there's there's there are other people uh, involved like Tim Ruffin is someone who's contributed a lot to the space although he is he's not a developer per se uh, in the context of Bitcoin and then you know outside of outside of this I'll be honest I don't really see a whole lot of stuff that makes me go wow you guys really nailed it and I I you kind of put me in a position where it's like I'm I'm gonna dump a little bit on everybody else's project but it's like there's a lot of projects that are really just junk. And, and there's not people doing original stuff. So that's sort of, you know, that really limits the count of people who do this kind of work. Um, sorry, my phone just rang there. So I'll, I'll just pick up the, there's a lot of people say that um, being a brilliant mathematician is a product of youth. And once you get past the age of about 30, that's 
as whatever brilliance you were ever going to achieve in mathematics, you will have already achieved. And does something similar apply to development? Are the best devs like young guys or are they or are they old veterans who've seen so much code over the years? They've just got better and better as they've grown older. I feel like, you know, the, these comments about mathematics are a bit, you know, mathematics is one where I've seen people make substantial contributions after 30, like people, mathematicians can be very productive into their, you know, sort of into their later years. But what you said, I mean, I, I come from the physics world. So I, you know, I, I, I was in a physics PhD It's very program. possible I'm wrong, by the way. I'm, oh, well, I might, well, uh, well what, I was, what I was gonna say is that you're, I feel like your comment is actually far more accurate about physics which is that if you haven't really nailed it and made some substantive contribution to physics by the time you're about 30, it's, it's pretty unlikely you're going to. And uh, I, I feel like people might perceive that about the blockchain space, but my, my perception is, is that blockchains, there are big insights that you can make uh, as, a, you know, as a young person, but, I, but there's, a, there's something about coding that really is different than mathematics or, or, or physics, is that when you code, Coding isn't just running the positive path, right? You know, people can put to glue together garbage code very quickly. And this is why, this is how say venture capital backed code works, which is that they, you glue together a bunch of junk really quickly. It doesn't matter if you breathe on it hard and it falls over, but whoa, look at the positive path. It does A, B, and then it does C. And it's like, well, what if it, what if D happens? The whole thing explodes, but you can look past that. And I feel like in terms of youth and programming is, is that there's a trade-off. A younger person might be able to do positive path code much more quickly and go like, oh, look, it does A, B, then C. But an older person is really who it takes to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What if it doesn't do C at the third step, it does D? Then it will blow up. And basically the age and sort of maturity of developers really plays into the quality of the code that comes out. So you could have a bunch of 20 year olds writing a whole bunch of code that does a whole bunch of stuff and it's really just not resilient. And I feel like in the context of cryptocurrencies, what you're talking about is effectively accounting software. It's accounting software that you cannot, you know, uh, you cannot make errors with because if you screw it up, it could really, people could lose massive amounts of money. So it's a very high stakes uh, domain in that sense. And so someone who's 20 and can code, you know, code circles around somebody who's 40 might be able to write a lot of code, but they could also write a lot of code that explodes in everyone's face. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a definite trade-off. It's almost, a, it's, a, it's a bit more like engineering than it is a hard science. I've got you. And so a bit of wisdom is a useful thing to have if you're a developer. Mm -hmm. um, now, who are the exceptional developers that you've got working on Decred? Well, let's see. So I, and this is what, this is another one of these ones. I have to be, I have to be careful because I don't want to forget anyone because the people will be like, why you didn't put me in the, you didn't list me. So let's see the our, our, Well, do a disclaimer first, do a disclaimer first in case you do forget. Someone. Okay. So, so the, so the disclaimer is this, is that I have hired and hired and fired and stopped working with a bunch of people over the years. And the people, the crew I have at company zero right now are all these people fire on all cylinders and deliver, you know, big projects and have done so for year and year and year, years and years and years is uh, there's Dave Collins. And so he's the, uh, the DCRD developer, uh, the lead. Um, he has been doing, he was the original guy uh, who really ran the BTCD stuff. And then um, there's Josh Rickmar. He does the wallet. He's the lead dev on wallet. Then we have, uh, uh, AYP, Alex, uh, Alex Yocampai, he's my younger brother. He works, he was the guy who started Decrediton and he works on Decrediton. 
Um, we also have uh, uh, David Hill, D. Hill. And so he, uh, he's a jack of all trades. He does uh, system, system administration work. He works on DCRD. He works on DCO Wallet. He does, he, you know, he, he can do pretty much anything. And um, in terms of, uh, oh, and then, uh, of course, I can't forget Marco. So uh, Marco Piraboom is, is the person who I've been working with the longest. I've been working with him since 09, actually really 07. And uh, he is the person who was the lead on the Politea project. And then we've had a couple, uh, you know, several people beyond the Company Zero staff who've really come on and started making sub major substantive contributions. One of them is uh, uh, Mateus De Giovanni. He is a Brazilian guy and he runs our DCR LND fork. And so he basically took the work that Dave Collins had done to get mo LND most of the way ported and has run it to completion. In addition to that, he's made several proposals for new consensus changes that would allow us to do all sorts of things, like, for example, using the Lightning Network to split tickets. So in theory, you could have a ticket that's split, instead of it being split maybe five or 10 ways, it could be split 10,000 or 100,000 ways. Yeah, uh, tickets are getting, like a ticket when I last looked was about 200 decred. And a decred is $200. Yeah, it's like $40,000. So what's 200? Yeah, I mean, that's quite a substantial amount of money, $40,000, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's non-trivial. And so, you know, his suggestion that, we, you know, that we could use Lightning Network to split and basically him walking through the, how, the, the hows of doing that is really significant, even if it's a ways off in terms of all the work that needs to be done. What's the total number of tickets that, that, that are currently staked in Decred? Uh, the, the current number of tickets that are staked is there's a target number. So in the same way that there's sort of a target block time when, when you're talking about proof of work, there's a target pool size when it comes to proof of stake uh, in Decred. And so the target, the target pool size is uh, 40,960 tickets. And then that number, you know, if a whole bunch of people start buying tickets, sometimes it, you know, it goes over target. And then what happens is, is that the ticket price adjusts upwards to discourage people from buying tickets as the ticket pool size goes up. I gotcha. And then similarly, it goes down when uh, you know when the when the price is is low. Okay, this is the big question, Jake. Coming up now, um, I've I've been on Coin Market Cap yesterday, and I looked at Decred, and I think it's fifty fourth or fifty fifth in the list of of, um, of of cryptocurrencies by market cap. Its current market cap is maybe two point eight billion dollars, something like that. Um, what is the point of Decred? Well, the real purpose of Decred in the, in the bigger picture is to sort of take, drive to completion the process that, that we see as, as started by Bitcoin. Bitcoin proved that you, can take a, that you can basically replace a normal payment network with a non-custodial network where no single person ever has control of all the funds and no single person is issuing the currency. This is a, and, and, and the way I see this is that the bigger picture way to look at this is that Bitcoin started the process of redefining the games that underpin human society. Human society can be decomposed as a bunch of smaller games, like who has the most money, who has the hottest, who has the hottest, you know, significant other, who, uh, you know, who's, who's got the goofiest haircut, you know, who's, who can run the fastest, you know, all the, there are all these games that we all play with each other to keep ourselves entertained and to keep our society productive. And, these games have become rigged to the point that I think that it's really counterproductive. I mean, you point out, you know, I see, I see the daylight robbery, how tax, tax shaped our past and will change our future. 
is tax, you know, in taxation, that's a rigged game. Someone just, you know, effectively arbitrarily goes, oh, I'm going to, we're going to charge you more money to do nothing. And these games that are rigged sort of define what our society is and is not capable of. And I think that Bitcoin started the process of unrigging these games, then, then just stopped. And in order to continue that process, we need to basically continue seeing what are the games around- In what us. way did Bitcoin stop? Well, they stopped because, okay, you unrig the game of who can mint the money and then who control, who has custody over the money, but then who's in charge of making the decisions about that network. That's, that's the sense in which Bitcoin really stopped. That is that what you, what you, by, you saw or you, you substantially improved one rigged game, which is say the, the, the process of creating and issuing and distributing money. And then you're like, okay, but well, who's in control of that? Well, the Bitcoin network, well, who's in control of that? The miners. And it's like, well, the miners are in charge. They don't have very, their, their incentives aren't very strongly aligned with the network. So there's this whole are process. They not? Huh? Are the miners incentives, incentives not aligned with the network? Well, think about it. You could be a miner and sell every single Bitcoin you've ever mined and still exert an, un, you know, an outsized amount of influence over the network. You can block upgrades, you can cause problems, you can mine- Sure, everything. but by mining, by mining coins, you're benefiting the network, no matter what you do with the coins afterwards, because well, you're helping not, well, the network function. It's not, it's not to say that you're not, uh, that you're not at all aligned with the network. Sure, you're doing something that's useful for the network, but you're also doing something that's useful for yourself. And you can do things with those coins that are you know, counterproductive for the network, like dumping them on an exchange to drive the price down. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, it's a weak alignment. And then you go, okay, well, what about consensus rules? Who's in charge of that? Effectively, what, it, you know, what, it's, baked down, what it's come down to for Bitcoin is the developers are in control. And then you either are for or against the developers. So, so you're saying it's not quite as decentralized as perhaps we are led to believe it is. I mean, it just just look at this recent Taproot activation. I mean, uh, what is it? Was it Luke Dash Jr. was complaining on you know on Twitter about like, oh, this is crap software and I don't like it and so on. And it's like this is all people fighting over pull requests and you know uh, commits on GitHub. And so as much as as much as people want to think it's decentralized, it really isn't. You know, there's a handful of people at the top who control it. I mean, this is basically what drove me out of Bitcoin, which is I was driven out of Bitcoin by people who were like, you know what, we're this is our turf. Get the hell out of here, basically. And let me ask you a personal you question do about it. Do you still own any Bitcoins? Uh, yes, I do. OK, so so you don't you're not that against it. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, hey, I think uh, I'm. I, I'll say this, Bitcoin is infinitely superior to any fiat currency on the planet. And I, I don't think any central bank has any chance of creating a digital currency that can compete even with Bitcoin or any of the more advanced latecomers like Decred because it's just not fair. Central banks aren't fair. People can go like, oh, I'm gonna create $2 trillion and drop it out of a helicopter. And that's just fundamentally unfair. That's one of these rigged games that I'm talking about. But then, it, you know, even with Bitcoin, it starts to come down to, well, who makes these decisions? Who's in control? And then that's another rigged game. And, that, and so basically what drew me to Bitcoin in the first place is that it was a less rigged game. I got really close to sort of, you know, the, the, the beating heart of Bitcoin and the development process. And then I basically, you know, by inference, I learned that, wow, this is another rigged game at the heart of a, of a game that I thought wasn't rigged. And so that process of rigging and uh, rigging games is really sort of, it's, it, it, it's, it's how our human society runs right now. Like look at a custodial exchange. If you have a custodial exchange, you can do whatever you want with those assets while, while people give them to you, to, you, know, you know, within reason. You, know, you can go to, go, go, to, go to the casino and bet against people all day. 
and then you know no one's any the wiser so this whole process of 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 rigged games extends way beyond just money issuance and money custody i mean it goes to governance who's in charge who should be in charge i mean i would argue that roughly you know this kind of stakeholder uh you know incentive alignment that we have is about as good as you can get without making it too complex but then you can also keep extending that process what about privacy what about exchange what about uh you know and then what about things that are not even necessarily directly related to money like medicine or uh you know uh, taxation there's all of these things that are just rigged games that exist throughout human society and i think that you know at least my personal goal with decred and i can't speak for everyone else involved in the project is to have decred be part of this process of serially unrigging games that underpin human society and we've knocked out several of these things already we, you know we we governance was done you know in the first maybe year and a half or at least nominally done then we moved on to privacy then we moved on to exchange with our decks and now we're, you know and just recently here with this uh, decentralized treasury is is that we've moved on to the idea of socialized costs that is Anytime you socialize costs, somebody has to be in control of the treasury, like who's going to control these funds? And the, the answer is really nobody should be in charge, whether it's, you know, whether it's me or anyone else. So, the, you know, the, the, the future that I see and that, I mean, I hope a lot of people who are involved in the project see is that we have to keep, we have to keep going and keep doing this in order to make a better human society for, you know, for us and, and the people who come after us. Okay, so you, I think if I'm going to just summarize what you said, and correct me if I summarize you wrong, because I, I don't want to do that thing that TV interviewers do when they go, so what you're saying is, and then totally change what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you, you share the same goal as the early Bitcoin developers, and you're just looking to go one stage further or several stages further than, than, than what Bitcoin has achieved. That, yeah, I think that I think that's accurate, which is that I saw the direction the ball was rolling and that's what drew me to Bitcoin and I got really close and the ball kind of ran me over and I'm like, I want to keep pushing this ball and not get run over by it. So, okay. Now, but wouldn't any other coin developer say something similar? So, for example, Ethereum or Cardano or someone might say, yeah, well, we're looking to, you know, we think Satoshi was really interested in smart contracts and tokenization, and we're looking, Bitcoin hasn't gone far enough in that, and we're looking to go further with that. And then Monero might turn around and go, yeah, well, Bitcoin wasn't as private as it made out. We're looking to go make Bitcoin more private. And then somebody else might go, yeah, well, Bitcoin Cash might go, oh, well, the transaction times were too slow with Bitcoin, and we're looking for instantaneous microtransactions. So we're going further with this. And all the different coins uh, feel that they're doing something you know, one small part of Bitcoin better than Bitcoin is doing it. And you could argue that they are all doing those things. So I suppose my next question is, is with what I've just said in mind, what differentiates Decred? Well, I think that I think that a lot of it comes down to the how. What you've pointed out is that the what that we're all sort of talking about, there's a lot of overlap, you know, like projects A, B, C, D, E, F, and G are all, you know, they're all trying to move the peg forward, right? So everyone everyone to some extent is going hey i'm like bitcoin or like something else and i'm trying to do it a little bit better and i think that uh, i think that a big difference of it is the how which is that if you look at uh you know if you look at a lot of these other networks 
is as you go, how are you, how are you moving this peg forward? They're like, well, let's take Bitcoin Cash for a second. Is I don't, I'm not super ideologically opposed to Bitcoin Cash, but it's like, okay, how are you going to move the peg forward for instant microtransactions? We're going to make big blocks, and it's like, well, doesn't that centralize the network and force people to keep nodes and data centers? Well, sure, but it's still decentralized enough, and it's like. Well, you know, once people can control all the nodes and the data centers, well, then the game changes a lot because then you need to be in a data center. And then every data center, I mean, whether people are aware or not, uh, data centers are overflowing with intelligence service people. So uh, <laughs> not exactly a great place to keep a decentralized node for your payment network. And uh, the how I feel like is, is really part of how we differentiate ourselves, which is that if we look at the blueprint that was laid down by Bitcoin, the blueprint that was laid down by Bitcoin can be broken into three pieces, right? Or three or four pieces. There's a non-custodial network. There is a server mesh. And then there is an incentive system that's, you know, that aligns all of this. A lot of people will, will you know, bring one or two components of this. For example, non-custodial. Okay, like Monero does non-custodial mixing or, or you know, effectively non-custodial uh, obfuscation of, of transactions. And I think that's, I think that's great. But then you start going, okay, well, what's the, what, you know, how are the incentives aligned? Is there a server mesh? Yeah, there's a server mesh. It's called the Monero network. And, you know, that's where, that's where these things live. Our approach is just very different in the sense that instead of, instead of trying to necessarily use the most complex or the, you know, the sexiest ways of doing things, we try to basically tread in the, and, and reuse these, these, these uh, decomposable blocks in a way that we can, we can keep pushing forward without say, oh, we're going to use these special zero knowledge proofs or, oh, we're going to use these special ring signatures and so on. So I think that I, I, our technological approach is substantially different from a lot of these other projects in that regard. So I think that is something that, that we do differently. Although, you know, as you point out, moving the peg forward, everybody's trying to do that. Yeah. Okay. So I want you now to tell me, um, you, you mentioned the word how, what is Decred doing? Like, is your goal to become the next, you know, if you've got the different categories, is your goal the, ne the next one in the sort of, you know, the Bitcoin silver category? Is your goal to become the next Bitcoin cash, next Litecoin in that kind of area? Or is it to become the next Monero? What is the, what is the goal of Decred? I mean, do you think you could ever conceivably overtake Bitcoin? I think that, you know, everybody has, you know, th there's always a chance that people could overtake Bitcoin. One thing I find kind of interesting about Bitcoin is that there's this, you know, there can be only one Highlander sort of attitude to, you know, to, to cryptocurrencies. But anyone who, know, who, who knows anything about technology knows that there are big, big companies, they get very, very big, they get a ton of attention, and over time they grow, and then they, they, they lose their agility, and they lose their ability to evolve in a meaningful fashion and stay ahead of things. And it's like, okay, maybe Google's giant right now. In 50 years, will Google be giant? I mean, look at IBM. IBM was gigantic and now they're not. And so this process of sort of evolution and evolving is, you know, amongst, within any kind of business domain is bound to happen. And part of what, you know, what we're trying to do with Decred is to try to make a system that actually evolves as opposed to, oh, we're going we're gonna to win with this one feature and then we're going to be done. And so... This, pro this process of, you know, overtaking Bitcoin, hey, yeah, it would be great, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's one of my goals. I mean, 
I would say that the, the, my goal for Decred is to make Decred the best store of value it can be and to continue making it the best uh, you know, store of value it can be. Whether that means that it overtakes Bitcoin or not, hey, that's a, that, that's a question mark. I mean, there's a lot of cachet and a lot of network effect going on with Bitcoin. But after so many, I mean, it's just like with corporations. Once so many odd people pile into a given stock, the value of the corporation goes up to the point where eventually people are like, okay, there's an established value for this. And now it's time to look for, you know, what's the next thing? Okay, you, you can no longer 100x on Google. What's next? You know, so, so that's sort of, you know, that's the way I'm approaching it, which is that to build something that evolves for the future and can evolve. And I feel like the, evo the evolutionary component of Decred is actually something that almost every other project lacks. Other projects have tried to do it and they've only started, they've only, you know, dipped their toe in. And then we're already at the point where we've made, I think three or four or five consensus changes. And, you know, there's just gonna be a, an endless stream of these things going on, going forward. Okay, now, um, okay, let's say money has, what is it? There's three or four points to money. It's it's a, a medium of exchange, unit of account, store of wealth, and a, a measure of value, which is sort of crossover with unit of account. And then you know, so and if you look at all forms of money, they all serve those purposes to a greater or lesser degree. Um, so you know, for example, gold is a great store of wealth, but it's not so great as a medium of exchange, even in the past you know when as soon as they found that copper or silver or paper worked as well they stopped using gold but but you know but it still sort of served those three th and you could say the same about bitcoin great wonderful store of wealth if you start using it as a unit of account um you know the the decline in the purchasing power of fiat is pretty quickly exposed um it's a good medium of exchange in that you can spend large amounts of money uh, anywhere in the world, but it's quite expensive, you know, five, $10 a transaction, and it's not instantaneous. Um, where does Decred, I mean, is the purpose of Decred to be an alternate money system or is, is there more to it than just being money? And I mean, if there is more to it than just being money, that's quite exceptional because money in itself is quite a big thing. Well, I think that I think that that's a. Th this is actually. I'm going to say this before I re respond to it. This is one of the most insightful questions anyone's ever asked me on an interview. Um, so the, the particularly your follow-on section. Okay, people have asked about this. You know, store of value, medium of exchange, unit of account. I feel like there's a progression. That is that before people will consider something as a medium of exchange, it needs to have a certain amount of you know, utility as a store of value. That doesn't mean it, mean it needs to be the best store of value, but it needs to have a certain amount of sort of store of value, uh, uh, what is it, uh, utility. So even Bitcoin right now is primarily a store of value. It, you can barely go anywhere and pay with Bitcoin. You can do some places online and pay with Bitcoin. The reality is, is that it's still primarily a store of value. And then oddly enough, it being used as a store of value is primarily what drives the value proposition for it. So Decred in that sense is very, very similar. We aim to be as good, at, you know, as good a store of value as we can possibly be. And then the hope is, is that over time, and this is where the Lightning Network really is going, is that the Lightning Network is effectively the rails for the medium of exchange part. So in order to transition to a medium of exchange, you need to allow potentially huge numbers of people to transact using, using the currency. And Lightning Network is effectively a prerequisite of that, unless you want to go the Bitcoin Cash route and have gigantic blocks. So, you know, 
we're really focused on the store of value component and because it really feeds the value proposition and it really it's it, I think it's far easier to compete on that front than it is on the medium of exchange that is until you know sort of the infrastructure is in place for the medium of exchange applications to really take off I don't think we're quite there yet and you know that's yeah now I've sent in, in I've sent some decred from account to account and it it um it's not the quickest in the world is it Oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, our block time is five minutes. So it's like, you know, we're talking confirmation times typically on the order of like, you know, five to five to 30 minutes or something for, you know, for getting transactions confirmed. Mm -hmm. So, but, 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 but I do want to, before we get too far away, I want to go back to the second part yeah, of your sure. question that I thought was so insightful, right? Is if Decred isn't just money, what else is it? Is I think that, you know, what I was talking about earlier with fair games and unrigging games is there a lot of big, very big, very important rigged games that run human society like politics, electing officials, um, and things like who has privacy and who doesn't? Like if you're wealthy and you're in your in your patient, you can do things like you know you can set up corp uh, set up a corporation and use that to obfuscate your ownership of things. Like you know if you own real estate and you don't want people to know that it's you know it's Dominic or Jake owning it, you you can set up an LLC in your jurisdiction and have that own the real estate and so on. So that there's there's these things that are that are not accessible to people because they don't have the status or the standing or you know or they're not good enough at playing other rigged games to to be able to do these things. What what I feel like Decred has done is is that it has leaned into um, a number of problems, right? So money is sort of Bitcoin leaning in and going, oh, if we if we set things up just so we can unrig this game and make it a lot fairer to basically change what money means. But what we've noticed with Decred is effectively that you can lean in on other issues like governance and change what governance means. So for example, in a nation state, a whole bunch of people elect someone and it, they can be incompetent and they can just do all kinds of wrong for the people who voted for them. But it doesn't matter because all that matters for that person incentive wise is that they get the votes. So you, know, you can vote for somebody who says they're gonna do A, B and C and they're gonna go off and do D, E and F. And so what we've done with Decred is we've leaned into these other major societal problems. And as a function of that, we're building something that's more than money. So for example, you might be like, oh, well, um, I don't like politics. So it's like, well, we leaned in and we're like, well, our money becomes politics. We've blended the two so that money and politics are, instead of it being these two separate things where the people with the money pay to control the politics, the money becomes the politics. So the only way to, to you know, to participate in the politics is to have the money. And, you know, it, this goes along with the, he who holds the gold, what, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? So, and, and we're, and we're uh, what I think we're, 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 go, we're leaning towards with unrigging these games is basically turning Decred, not just into a store of value, but also into a, a means of politics, a, a path to privacy, a path to fungibility, a path to all of these other sort of social problems, solutions to social problems that you wouldn't think of as necessarily being tightly bound to money. Okay, now let's just talk about store of value for a second. I wanna go through all the um, things that Decred have done, the breakthroughs, the governance system, Lightning. I wanna just go the privacy, the, the, the mixing. We, we can go through all of these things block by block in a second and see you know and you can tell us what's why decred's version of these things is special and then listeners can decide if if that's if they are special or not 
Um, I mean, ultimately, you don't know until you try the technology. But, but the uh, let's just talk about the store of value first. Now, one of the reasons, the big advantage that Bitcoin has is it's got the first move advantage. It's the cryptocurrency that everyone's heard of. In fact, I, I imagine more people have heard the word Bitcoin than have heard the word cryptocurrency. And, you know, the Bitcoin logo has become synonymous with a sort of irreverent, anarchic, anti-authoritarian movement. And, you know, I, I myself, for example, have been projecting these images on the wall of, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say it, I've been involved with the projection of these images on the wall of the Bank of England. And, and it's not so much about Bitcoin, it's the irreverence that the Bitcoin symbol carries with it, That's if, if you see what I mean. Um, but because it has this it, tremendous first move advantage and it has this huge network, um, you know, there's a sort of, it's the it's just the one it's even now i think it's what 60 70 percent of cryptocurrency value is bitcoin and then the other 30 percent is the is the other stuff and there might be things that do what bitcoin does better than bitcoin there are some coins that are, have better privacy there are some coins that have better transaction speeds there are some coins that are better for building things on top of but bitcoin's still you know the one and i've i've followed decred and you were being beaten by Bitcoin in terms of store of value. In other words, Bitcoin was outperforming Decred through till about October, November last year. And then Decred sort of turned a corner and started dramatically outperforming Bitcoin, albeit off a very low base. And then in the past month or two, it's sort of flatlined. Uh, so it's neither beating Bitcoin nor, nor losing to it. And it's actually out being outperformed by doge and various other of these <laughs> of these crazy coins and, and ethereum as well so and you can't determine what value will be ascribed to it but it, at the moment in terms of store of value it's basically just trading with the network with crypto it's neither outperforming it nor underperforming it. if anything it's I think you've slipped from about 45 to about 55 in the market cap, although there's such fine differences at that level that, you know, a couple of good weeks and you could go up to about 35 or something. So it's in terms of performance, it's not doing anything exceptional in terms of store of value yet related to anything else. What, what, what's, what's your comment on that? Well, I think that, you know, it's... Uh the battle we've been fighting really is one of awareness and network effect. That is that we have, all, you know, we have all the tech, we have all the technology we need. We have all of that going and it really comes down to network effect and awareness, which is that um, I think something that's been a real challenge for, you know, for Decred specifically is that most other projects because they started effectively as an ICO or with some kind of made large presale where there's a lot of uh, initial investment, we, because of the way we launched our network, which I mentioned earlier, which was like 50% airdrop, 50% um, internal pre-mine. And so the total amount pre-mined on that launch was 8%. So we managed to keep the pre-mine as pretty much as low as we reasonably could without, you know, losing our, losing our asses up front. And that I think really hurt us in the long run, which is that most, most uh, cryptocurrencies that launched uh, do an insider uh, venture capital style sale so that celebrity investors, uh, you know, and, and people who have a big, who have a big existing network get in there and then can go, oh, okay, you know, so uh, I get, I get all of these, I get all of this at an insider price, even though I'm just showing up with money now, 
that kind of that kind of an arrangement has led to a bunch of projects that I view as junk, basically having a lot more visibility and a much higher profile than they would otherwise. And so because we lack that, that's one of the explanations for why we're at where we're at in terms of awareness. And, you know, in, in, in terms of being a store of value, it's, uh, I would argue that we still are a good store of value, but there are other bets out there that are currently doing better than ours. And it's, and, and it's primarily just an awareness problem. And so even doing things like coming on your, coming on your uh, podcast here and talking to you or going out in public and, you know, interacting with people, the, these things in, enhance the the perception of of our of our store of value. So even though things have gone very well recently, I think that you know winning the game it, it, it really comes down to a, a battle for awareness. So we have all the technology we need, but it's really I mean the the area that I'd argue that we're weakest is really this awareness game. So. I, I don't think that that necessarily means that we're a bad store of value, but it means that, hey, we could be a much better store of value if we had, uh, you know, sort of more network effect going on. Yeah, you need more awareness and even more than awareness, you need more users. Mm -hmm. And but the problem is you are a serious project. You're not a joke project. And uh, the way the world is, it's like, it, you know, with lockdown and everything else, it's like everyone's bored. And so joke, <laughs> joke projects and memes and everything seem to be what what ignite people um uh but yeah so yeah i i, I mean there's i think you you've got this big um fund you've got the 140 million dollars or something in in decred that's ready to be spent and i imagine you know the 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 team will spend some of that money on means to uh, raise awareness but the problem with pr and raising awareness genuine generally is it's so uh ethereal it's so hard to measure you know when even just like i mean i work in comedy as you know and just hiring a pr person to do a show and they could work 50 hours and get you one sentence in a newspaper and then suddenly for whatever reason the world's suddenly interested in dominic frisbee and you don't even need a pr person at all because everyone's writing about dominic frisbee at every stage of the way the whole time so it's just a it's a really hard thing to measure yeah, I mean, our experience actually is, is that for quite a while, we spent a decent amount of our budget on marketing and like going out to trade shows and, you know, uh, showing up places and giving talks and, you know, uh, what is it, sponsoring conferences and stuff like that. And what we noticed was, is that it was just, you know, it, it really didn't do much to increase our reach. We would spend, 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 and it didn't increase our reach very much. So we've really kind of changed our, our MO. We've actually dialed our marketing effectively to zero. That is that just for the reasons that you point out, because of the inability or challenge uh, that comes with, uh, you know, putting metrics on any of this stuff, like measuring how successful or how useful uh, any, any given type of marketing is, is very difficult. Right. You can spend a million dollars on this stuff and go like, oh, well, we got we got you an article here. I've gotten you an article there. And it's like, well, OK, but, you know, it's like even even me as somebody I, I try to be very fair with people, which is that if people screw me over, I'm going to be real, real jerk to them. And if they do me right, I'm going to be very good to them. But it, even for me, it's like there were literally months or years that it went by where I'm like, should I be nice or should I be mean? I can't tell because I can't, my ability to measure this stuff is almost zero. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I mean, I, I've got a, a manager who manages me and sometimes like, you know, I'll, I'll make something, I'll make a video or something and I'll be like, come on, you know, sell that to the BBC, sell it to ITV, come on, push it, push it. 
And he's like, no, I'm not going to. And I'm like, you're supposed to be my manager. You just do it. No, I'm not, I'm not. Nobody's interested. I'm not going to do it. Time's not right. And then suddenly, and you like, you get really wound up by it. And then suddenly, like one week, the phone will go three times in the week and go, I've, I've sold that one to this guy. This guy wants to meet you for this thing and this thing. And he just, he just, he's, he's old. He's an old boy and he's experienced. And he just is old enough to know that if somebody's not interested, there's no point. There's just no point because they're not interested. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't. <laughs> and then suddenly out. somebody's interested. And when they are, that's the point at which you, you, you know, that's the point at which to strike. So it is hard. Um, but yeah, you don't want to be caught in that situation where you've got the best tech, but somebody else wins the battle. You don't want to be Betamax to somebody else's VHS. Uh, you don't want to be mini disc to, to the CD. Um, and I, I mean, it's, I, it's something, I, I mean, I'm, I follow all your chat boards, so I know it's something you're all thinking about, but um, it, it's, it's a difficult battle, but one you, 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 you do have to address at some point. Having brilliant technology is, is not enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of that. It's just, you know, for, it, it, it's odd to have been in the situation where it's like we tried. At first, we did no marketing. Then we did a decent amount of marketing. Then we kept marketing and we're like, is this working? And then eventually we're like, we kept asking, is this really working? And we said, no, you know, screw it. We're turning it off. So that's where we're at. And so it's like, I think at this point, we're, you know, we're, we're obviously keen to turn it back on, but we got to turn it back on under the right circumstances. Um, I've noticed, by the way, Kim.com. Do you know who I mean by Kim.com? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the German guy who moved to New Zealand and then learned the hard way that New Zealand is basically a client state of the United States. And so if you mess with the recording, uh, RIAA and Joe Biden, <laughs> uh, you will get you will get your get your shit fucked up in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that guy. <laughs> that guy. And mm. but he's his own man. And um, he's quite outspoken and he's got quite a big following. And I noticed that he's been pushing Bitcoin cash very hard over the last couple of months. He's really been shilling it. Mm. And so he must have invested in it or something must have gone on that's persuaded him that it's a good idea. But it's worked for Bitcoin cash because Bitcoin cash is, is, is gone from, you know, when I last looked, it was like 1400 bucks or something. And it was, you know, two or three months ago, it was only $200. So it's, it's on a real roll for all its flaws that it may or may not have. Um, so I guess you need to find your, your Kim.com. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like celebrity endorsements and, and people, people being out there and, and promoting the project is really helpful. And that's something that, you know, just like I was saying earlier, we really lack that compared to other projects. So it's not a question, and it's not, in the past, you know, we, we, we don't really typically seek it out. But hey, maybe we need more of that. I mean, yeah, maybe we do need our Kim.com. Um, if you had a model crypto portfolio, and by a model crypto portfolio, I guess you can only describe your own, but your own is inevitably slightly biased because it's biased to the, to the um, project you're working on. But in a model crypto portfolio, what percentage should be allocated to Decred? I mean, I would say this is that it's it's really a question of how much how much risk you're comfortable with there's a lot of people out there i see a lot of positive uh i see a lot of upside potential to decred but you know there's also a lot of people who don't want to see us see us succeed so it's a it's it's a risky investment i would put it i would put a chunk towards it i mean there's really only 
realistically, there's probably 20, 20 projects in the space that I would even consider putting money into. So, I mean, I, I would say single digit percentage into Decred, you know, if you're, you know, if you're interested in tracking the space, but something that I think is very hard for people who come from the outside of the space is to understand what is and is not substantive, which is that, you know, people come in and they're like, oh, I want to get that dog coin, like, you know, and that's, that's what's on their brain. And so recognizing which 20 projects in the space are substantive is, is, is the difficult task. So it's like, I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe one to 5% decred. I mean, I, I, I obviously, why not, uh, why not, why not 25%? Well, I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of people don't, aren't, aren't comfortable tolerating risk like that. You know, I'm obviously incredibly confident in decred, but I'm, I'm always remiss to strongly push people to buy decred just because it's like, there have been times where, where, uh, you know, somebody asked me, well, why don't, why aren't you telling me to buy Decred? And then like the next month, the price plunges and I go like, oh my God, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't push it. But then again, it's, you know, there's also times where people are like, what, why, why shouldn't I buy Decred? And it's, and then the price goes up a whole bunch. So it's like, I feel like it's, the whole space is volatile enough that I'm always reticent to push too hard to be like, you should buy Decred. I think- Well, at the moment, Decred is rising and falling with the herd. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be a promoter, <laughs> and I'm not saying you are a promoter, but if you are, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared. You know, I've been CEO of a company before and, and I, I'm, I don't want to be responsible for people being down on their investment. Mm -hmm. So I found it hard to, you know, really push it. But if you look at the great promoters where it's, whether it's Elon Musk or the Wolf of Wall Street, whatever that guy's name was, they always pushed no matter what. And they made people, feel great about their choice to invest in whatever it was whatever it was they were promoting so even if that thing went down they, people are actually quite forgiving and so you've got to have a promoter who makes people feel good and loyal and excited about that investment and those kind of people uh, are often charlatans they're often very two-faced uh you know, what, what's the one about the, the great, the film with McConaughey about the gold mine and the Briex story? Um, I think it's just called Gold. But that, that guy was captured brilliantly in that film. He just got everyone so excited about this gold deposit in Indonesia, which it turned out, out they'd just been dusting. That's terminology for just sprinkling it with gold dust. So it looked like there was loads of gold in the soil samples. But, you know, those kind of people are, you know, I, I, Roger Veer, was the most brilliant promoter for Bitcoin early on. He's Roger Veer is a brilliant a a promoter, you know, and he's got such an honest quality to him that people trust him. And that's why he got that name of Bitcoin Jesus. And you listen to Michael Saylor talking now, and he's so brilliantly articulate about Bitcoin and he's so passionate about it and he's so zealous about it. He's just like, I just don't believe the past, what's happened in Bitcoin over the last year could have happened without Michael Saylor. And, you know, you got to find your you got to find your decred Jesus. <laughs> we do already have someone in the project who goes by their nickname uh, decred Jesus. That's Jay Z. But um, what it comes down to is that uh, you know salesmanship and marketing obviously not my that's not my strong suit. My strong suit is building things and sort of you know uh, and accomplishing substantive things from a technological standpoint as opposed to you know uh, selling everyone on it. So I can't. Uh, I can't do that and both, you know, and be the sales guy, but yes, 
your point is taken, which is that, you know, the, these people are obviously very important. And then there's, you know, some projects have leads that are incredibly, you know, incredibly good at sales, but incredibly bad with the tech. So, uh, you know, this, this happens and is, and is a thing in the space. So it's like, it takes, you know, it takes a certain amount of tech, a certain amount of sales. And from the sales side, we just, you know, we don't really do the sales side. So, Hey, if any, hey, anyone who's, who wants to do sales and is really good at it, show up. Um, so let's talk about the tech. I want you to just talk me through the various things to do with the tech that make Decred exceptional. And, you know, when you, when coders look at it, they're always going, wow, that's actually really good. So talk us through what is exceptional about Decred's tech. So what's exceptional about Decred's tech is that we have a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake consensus algorithm, and that aligns incentives very, very strongly. So has anyone else got that? Um, other people, uh, let me think about it. I think it's like PeerCoin. I think that there's very, very few uh, projects that do have a hybridized proof of work, proof of stake. So it's not entirely unique, but our implementation is indeed unique. So we have, you know, we have this, we have this system where basically everyone has tickets that strongly aligns incentives. That strong incentive alignment is also then wired into the consensus changes, which is that consensus changes need to be uh, approved and deployed by, you know. Uh, over our network. So 75% of the people who vote uh, yes or no need to vote yes in order to deploy a consensus change. So what we have is we have a system where you can actually make consensus changes on the fly. The first one of those we made was in, I think it's April, 2017, where we changed our ticket price algorithm. The, tech, the old ticket price algorithm had problems. So we fixed it. And that process has continued. We've had several other uh, consensus changes that have been approved by this process. What we've also got going on, you know, from a technological standpoint that other people aren't doing is that we made a system whereby people can uh, vote on proposals and, and our execution is different than other, than other places is that uh, there are other projects like Dash who have, who, who have a proposal system where people can vote, but everything is, uh, it's, it's an automated payout system and everything is denominated in Dash. So we use a different system where we denominate things in US dollars in terms of labor and then we pay out according to average exchange rates. So it's it's basically, you know, as someone who who's managed people and managed projects for years and years now, we're getting close to two decades of it. I'm at I'm at the point where I know what will and won't work when it comes to you know managing payouts and so on. So we have a we have a system for that, and that's called Politea. And then we also manage our contractors using that system. So we have basically an integrated contractor management system that's integrated with our proposal system. And then uh, we also offer a free timestamping service, which is that if you ever have any documents that you want to timestamp so that you can prove that they existed on or before a certain date, you can do that. And that's absolutely free. It's at timestamp.decred.org. Then uh, let's see, we, we have a privacy system where what we did is we took our staking process, which involves like roughly 50% of the issuance being churned in staking on a continuous basis. And we integrated that um, pretty tightly with our privacy uh, technology. So our privacy technology involves mixing where when people go to buy tickets, they mix their funds together and then buy, make mixed purchases of tickets. And so what we have is we have, I believe we have the highest opt-in privacy, uh, the, the highest uh, participation as a fraction of circulation uh, uh, across any, um, any uh, what is it, any opt-in privacy system um, in the space. Either people have a mandatory uh, privacy system like say Monero or the, the various Mimblewimble coins. Mixing, by the way, if you very quickly want uh, to have mixing explained is when your call your the it's your coins are put through a process 
mm. whereby they're they're effectively mixed and then the provenance of those coins is no longer known and mixing is incredibly important for fungibility uh, that is to say um, if the provenance of coins is known and some coins for example coinbase if it knows that some coins have come from the dark net it won't accept those coins and they get lost and so the fungibility of the Bitcoin network is challenged if not all coins are equal. And so mixing is an essential part of maintaining fungibility. Right. I've explained that. Do you want to pick up with uh, what's exceptional about your tech? I think maybe the next thing you're going to say is the lightning. Is yeah. that the next? Yeah. So in addition to, so in addition to the mixing, which is, which is uh, you know, we added that in, I want to say, fall of 2019. So we've had that going for like a year and a half at this point. Um, and we have roughly 40% of our entire circulation opting into privacy. So that's way higher than every other opt-in uh, privacy, uh, privacy coin out there. Um, then we have Lightning, we, we support Lightning Network and we have it actually integrated into our, uh, our, our core graphical wallet called Decrediton. And so um, even though there's not a whole lot of activity on it at this point, uh, we have the technology and we have the ability to use it to- uh, I'll tell you why there's no activity on it. Because when you go to use it in your wallet, a big sign comes up saying you do this at your own risk. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, fuck, oh, that just sounds like it doesn't work. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Noted, we'll probably be removing that in the next, in the next release. That's a, that's a useful information. <laughs> the user experience of don't use this, it might not work is probably not so great. Um, yes, but we do support the Lightning Network. It does work. Um, the reason that that, that, that warning's put into place is, is that making active backups of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a, what is it, of a Lightning wallet is tricky. So for example, if your computer were to explode and then like, oh, wow, where are my Lightning funds? It's tricky to get them back. So, so that's, a, that's a known problem with, with uh, the Lightning network. And I think that's why- Is that in the Bitcoin Lightning network as well? Is that I a believe the sim there's very similar problems in place. It has to do with watchtowers and in-flight transactions that haven't, that, that you know, your counterparty doesn't have settled. And it's like, and then if you try to close, a, if you try to close a channel and you do it wrong, then they can take the funds out of the channel, your counterparty. So long story. But then uh, the other things that we're doing that are, that are substantive and, and recent is, is that we launched our DEX. We, it went into production in October. And there's what been is a, a DEX? Lot, a, a decentralized exchange. So what it, we have a single market that we run right now. It's a DCR BTC pair. And it allows people to trade DCR and BTC, uh, Decred and Bitcoin, without, uh, without ever relinquishing custody to a, to a third party. So for example, trades can, you know, trades occur and get matched. And the way they end up getting matched is to say me and Dominic could trade. And at no point in the process does Dominic have custody of my coins or I his until we both, uh, we both swap. And this is done using atomic swaps. So in terms of atomic swap te technology, we are pretty much at the forefront of that um, in terms of how it's actively being used. Um, even, even the Monero project is only starting to catch up on this front uh, more recently. Um, then uh can people buy so people like if you look at something like uniswap which mm. is a decentralized exchange does, yeah. does that that doesn't use atomic swaps um my understanding is is that that does use a, a, let me think about this for a second i'm not incredibly familiar with the details of how of, of how that works but here's my let me let me think about this the way that that uh, uh uniswap uniswap works is that you effectively send funds into a smart contract and then you can pull those funds out as a liquidity provider, right? And then that contract 
will basically make a market and people can trade with that contract. So effectively, what you're doing is, is with, with Uniswap, it's, it's different than what we're doing. We're doing like minimal complexity uh, atomic swaps. But what happens with these, and Uniswap is an example of an automated market maker, uh, you know, uh, what is it system, where you give custody of your funds effectively to a smart contract. You can get the custody back later, but then it goes and then it would do swaps with other people. So effectively, in that case, it's actually more complex. There's a smart contract. There's one doing, stage more in the process. Yeah, there's effectively a cutout, and the cutout is the is the market maker uh, the market maker smart contract, which then does swaps with people actually executing the, the the trades. And will you make it possible on Dex to exchange other coins apart from BTC DCR? We we will indeed. We're in the process of do of adding you know better support. Right now we have we have Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Decred support, but we haven't added the Litecoin pairs just because you know. We're, we're really focused on the DCR BTC pair for the time being, but we're working on things like adding uh, SPV support for BTC because right now you have to have a full copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and use the Bitcoin core client. So it's, it's a very heavy solution, but in the longer run, what we're going to do is we're going to have this support S SPV for the Bitcoin side, and then we're going to support Ethereum. We're going to add support for substantially more uh, trading pairs, and that's, you know, that's going to happen in 2021. I guess the other, th the other major thing that we've done is that we, and, and this activated just, just uh, last night, is, we, is, is that we've created a minimally co minimal complexity consensus level smart contract to, to have custody of our treasury. So like, right, normally the way a treasury works is that someone on the network has to have custody over it. So pretty much every ICO thing out there has a treasury and that treasury is, you know, custodied by some meat space corporation. In our case, what we, what we did is that we had that, we had that for a while. And then we've, you know, we, we were now like in the process of, of cutting over to having those coins custodied by this smart contract that's built into the um you know that's built into the chain so it's effectively almost like it's almost like a layer one dao that is that there's no smart contract that that people can alter trivially but there's a consensus level smart contract that we use to control those coins so once all the coins end up you know from the old treasury migrate into the new treasury then it becomes something where every spend from the treasury has to be approved by a super majority of the stakeholders so the stakeholders need to sign off and go I, you know, I, I sign off on this draw against the treasury before the funds can come out, which makes it very difficult. What's the, what's the super majority? I think it's 60% um, vote yes, but, uh, you know, it might be 75%. I think it's 60%. So okay. the, of the non-abstaining votes, we need to have, there's a quorum. I think quorum is 20%. So at least 20% of, of all of the all of the possible votes need to be cast as a yes or a no. And then of that 60% need to vote yes. So in the worst case, it's obviously not a huge fraction of people voting yes, but we made uh, voting to support this or to uh, go against it very easy so that it's effectively semi-automated. So we, I expect we're gonna get pretty high participation on those votes. Okay, so I've got my Decred wallet and I bought a couple of tickets and I've got, I bought the tickets through, uh, I think it was a TSM, is that right? Ticket service manager or something? Ticket, one of your yeah. ticket providers and they charge at half a percent or something. Mm -hmm. um, if my ticket comes good, then some, some machine will contact me and say, you need to vote on this thing, is that right? So, that the, so the reason that we have these things, they're, they're called uh, VSPs, voting service VSP, providers. yeah. And, and so the reason we have VSPs is that not everyone is like a sysadmin who wants to be running a machine 24-7, 365. So for example, in Decrediton, we make it so that everyone uses a VSP. 
if you really want to vote your own tickets, you can set up the, you know, it's not very hard to set up, but that's not most people. I'd say 95% of people are going to want to use a VSP. And what the VSP then does is you tell the VSP how to vote. You go, I want to vote this way on this proposal, or, or, or I want to vote like this on a, on a so when the vote comes up, I'll get some kind of notification and then I tell the VSP what to do. Uh, well, 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 no, what you would do is that you would set your preferences in advance. And then when... So how would you know what the vote is? If, how do you set your preferences if you don't know what the vote is yet? Well, the way it works is that, is, that vote, is that votes on consensus changes are deployed in the software. So the software includes this stuff. And then the VSP will basically expose a yes or no knob. And then the yes or no knob, you set it. And then when, when your vote is called, then your VSP goes, aha, I'll vote the way that Dominic set the knob. Okay. So when a vote is coming up, when there's an issue to be voted on, I must get some kind of notification or something to tell me. But that, but the point uh, the point I was trying to make is that it isn't you that votes. You're basically paying the VSP to vote for you according to your wishes. But how does it know what I want? It, it, there, it, it allows you to set a knob that says I want to vote this way or I want to vote the other way. Whether okay, whether, whether, it... whether whether you whether you you found the knob in the uh, you know in in the user interface or not is you know is is another question right okay but so okay so let's say um johnny big bollocks comes along and he says i want five million dollars of the decred treasury because i want mm. i've got this amazing project that i want to do that's going to raise awareness of dcr mm. and so we then there's then a vote as to how that money gets spent okay okay so the the, the way this works is the following when you vote on proposals, proposals get voted on off chain. There's a, there's a proposal system for those. So for example, you put the proposal up and then people make comments after a certain point, you go, I'm ready for, for a vote to occur. An administrator says, okay, we're gonna run the time to run the vote. Then people individually with their wallets at that point, they're able to see an, inter, uh, an interface for the proposals and then they can cast votes from their wallet directly. So votes- Okay, so that's nothing to do with the, the, with the uh, VSM. VSP. That, that's VSP. correct. That, that's distinct. So the VSP is for is is for voting on blocks and on consensus changes, and then the okay. and then the proposal system is for voting, which you use directly with your wallet, is is for voting on proposals. Okay, so that's purely based on how many coins you've got, not how many tickets you've got. Uh, no, both of them are based on tickets. So if you ah, don't okay. have any tickets, you can't vote on proposals. But if you have tickets, you can vote on both proposals, and and then also blocks and consensus changes. Okay, so when a vote comes up on Politea you will get some kind of notification about the whatever the proposal is and then you vote. yeah it shows up it shows up in your wallet there is a there is a governance uh, tab in your wallet and then inside of there it shows uh, it shows the the proposals i've got you i've got you now what's extraordinary about your treasury well what's different what's different about it right is is that Everybody else has their treasury custodied by a centralized corporate entity, or in some cases, you know, or, or in the case of say Dash, I think Dash is one actually cuts the closest to what we do, is that in their case, there's a certain amount that they draw per month. And then um, what they used to do, <clears throat> I don't know if they still do it because I haven't been paying that close of attention, is that if 50% of it gets spent, it gets spent, and then the rest of it gets, gets burned um, or not used or not issued. So the difference in our cases is that basically we have an accumulator. So instead of it being just something that people vote on chain and then these funds flow out every month, our treasury actually accumulates. So if the treasury is not spent, it accumulates in this special account. And this is why we had to basically do the work we did because 
every block, there's a little section of the block, 10% of the block reward that goes into the treasury. So we had to, we had to basically build a smart contract at the consensus level that says, Every little bit of this block that goes in here goes into this special account, it gets added, and then over time, it accumulates. And that accumulated value is really part of what sets us apart here. And so at no point can someone get hit by a bus and then basically, oh, the treasury is unspendable or something, right? Or there's no like, oh, you know, I don't know, there was a nuclear war and now the treasury's frozen, you know? That, that stuff, at least in theory, should not happen because of uh, how we've de decentralized it. So. We've gotten the custody away from a centralized entity and we can accumulate it, which is, I believe, unique in the entire cryptocurrency space at this point. I've got you. And there's a lot of money in there. And I'm, you're pretty prudent about uh, what you spend it on. I know because I've started opening up a discussion and a, a swarm of <laughs> negative well, posting grabbed me and i thought whoa i've touched a nerve there well i think so, that i think that you know and it has and it has very little to do with you it really has to do with the the history. yeah yeah it was i got that yeah yeah it's it's, it's a touchy area and there have been some troublemakers who've tread there before yeah i i got that and uh, but the, the funny thing was is you were complaining to me about um the bitcoin well not necessarily complaining but you mentioned how that everyone there was sort of these existing little mini hierarchies these mini fiefdoms within the bitcoin core thing but sometimes when you're a, a, a newcomer onto a different forum or a different community you discover that there <laughs> and I, I sort of had a think oh okay i get there's a little everyone's got their little fiefdom here as well so there was a bit of that going on yeah, I think that I think that just like I was saying is is due to due to, and it's and it's nominally recent, basically over the past two or three years. In this specific area, there are people who are like who have had a similar approach, but are much less substantive people. And basically, we're like trying to wheedle huge amounts of money out for for junk. And that is you know obviously has nothing to do with you, but it's like even in my case, say with the development. It wasn't like someone had tried to do that and really screwed up beforehand. It wasn't like there was like, oh, we had a real sour taste in our mouth from the last person who came and did this. In my case, it was like, no, we just don't like you, you know, <laughs> shoo. <laughs> so in this case, there actually is, there's his, there's distinct history that I can point to, it, you know, and I tried, right. yeah. I, tr I tried to temper my responses. I'm like, just war fair warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I got that. And, and. And um, I forget who it was now who was sort of really went for me, but he was actually, <laughs> I went and reread it a couple of days later and he actually moderated himself quite sensibly as the conversation that, went that, on. That was Luke. <laughs> oh yeah, Bye yeah, Luke. that's right. <laughs> um, um, so I think we've covered everything and, you know, it's, it's a really interesting technology that, that's going on here. Why is it called Decred? Why did you call it Decred? It's short for Decentralized Credits. Because, because that's really what these are, is they're effectively, you know, it's a credit network and you're getting the credits from the network. So they're decentralized, decentralized credits. That was- I've uh, got you. And, and well, and then here's the other thing, right? It's a six letter domain and the domain was open, right? So there you go. Oh, they're hard, six letter domains are hard to get, are they? Well, six letter domain that's open, right? You know, if you don't want to yeah. pay through the nose for the domain. Mm -hmm. Um. What, tell me your aims for the project over the next year. Um, there's, there's technological whole, things that you've already outlined. A whole bunch more uh, listing uh, uh, trading pairs on the decks. Um, we're going to be have, adding uh, post-quantum uh, post -quantum secure mixing pretty soon. So that should be fun. That means that even if a big world government were to have a quantum computer at scale somewhere underground, they can't undo these mixes, which should be, you know, 
irksome, I, I expect. Um, let's see what else we're we're going to be add. We're going to be doing some more consensus changes that have to do with, um, or at least putting them up and seeing if if people you know support them. That have to do with um, adding Schnorr support and potentially Taproot support. I say potentially because Taproot is obviously Schnorr plus a lot of other stuff. So uh, whether we get all of that in there, we're going to start with Schnorr because we we feel like that's a sure thing. And um, let's see. And where well, does where does go and finish off? We're probably we're going to be moving towards a mesh network for the mixing and uh, so for the privacy privacy slash mixing and for the decks. Those are currently have centralized servers, but you know the 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 real path forward. And I mentioned this before. Word in terms of the how the how is is that you make it non custodial, then you make a server mesh, and then you make sure incentives are aligned. And and I, we're moving towards the the mesh network part of the privacy and the uh, and the and the exchange. Um, would you like to see your coin being used on the dark net? Because on the one hand, the like black markets for all the nefarious activity that goes on on black markets. If a black market is is using, they're often the first to turn. It's if a black market is using a technology, it's often a sign that that technology works. Black markets don't have deep pools of debt and venture capital and things to fall back on. They have to make technology work on a practical day-to-day -day basis. I think black markets were the first, you know, porn, for example, was the first to turn the internet to profit <laughs> back in the 90s. Not that I'm an advocating porn, but the, so it's, a, it's an indicator. Um, and at the moment, I was looking at the dark market sites the other day, and I, it seems now, it used to be that Bitcoin was the currency of choice, but now it seems that Monero is the sort of dark market currency of choice. I think there's something to that. If people want to use Decred on the dark on dark nets, I really don't see a problem with it. I'm not going to be using it on dark net markets, but I mean, th this is just like with any other technology. There's this. There's always this effort to sort of uh, you know slander projects because of how they're used. It's like, oh well, we gotta we gotta watch where every dollar that you have goes because you might be a bad guy, and it's like. There's there's going to be bad people out there. They're going to do bad things, and you know it's not really I, the way my view of it is. It's really not my problem. Which is that as much as as much as everybody wants to turn every you know network out there into a surveillance network, which I really disagree with clearly. Um, you know that's their that's someone else's problem. And you know hey, if Decor gets used on darknet markets, hey, I don't really see a problem with it. But I'm not going to be out there actively promoting that, right? You know that's not. That's not sort of my, I think that would be a poor, poor choice of the sales pitch, despite the fact that it might meet with some success. Where, where are the um, miners? Where are your, where's the majority of Decred mining? Where does, is it a similar process to, I, I, to Bitcoin mining? I believe it's in the same sorts of locations as Bitcoin, mostly in China currently, but with the way things are going, that might be migrating out of China soon, because uh, my understanding is, is that sort of there's slow, steady pressure to, to, to wind down mining in China. And does, Bit, does Decred use similar amounts of power as uh, Bitcoin does in its mining? It is an ASIC-friendly mining algorithm. So basically, you know, the, the, one of the major cost contributors to the mining process is indeed electricity. So you know, the ASICs themselves only cost so much to make. And then it's like, well, you got to pay heaps of money to, to feed them the electricity they need to hash. But the more power that gets used, the more resolute, resilient the network becomes. 
That's right. And then we have the added benefit of, of the security of the network going up effectively, multiplicatively as a function of the proof of stake. So there's the proof of, there's the proof of work. So if you go double, if you go try to double spend on proof of work, it's, you know, there's a certain cost to it. But if you really want to double spend, you need to get the proof of stake stuff involved. And that would, you know, that rapidly gets into a very, it gets incredibly expensive, like billions of dollars uh, cost when you go, you need all the coins and then you need to have a huge fraction of the stake and a huge fraction of the, uh, of the hash in order to su successfully pull off double spends. And what about um, your user base? Do you know roughly, are, are, are you a North American? Is your user base, do you know roughly we where have it a, is? We have a lot of people in North America. We have a, we have a decent audience in the UK. Um, we have a lot of Brazilians who, who are into the project because I think there was a lot of promoting going on for it in Brazil very early on pre pre launch and post launch. Um, actually, several of our of our best developers are from Brazil. So we have some we have some very talented people uh, working for us uh, from Brazil. And oh, I just wanted to apologize. I know there was that la laundry list of devs who are, you know, doing really good work. There's there's too many of them that I think are, are doing really good work for me to list in a reasonable amount of time. And, and Mateus is the one who, you know, who's from Brazil there, uh, you know, in terms of audience, we also have some people in Europe. We don't really seem to have that large an audience in Asia, but, you know, our hope is, is that as time, as time wears on, uh, things like sovereignty and sovereign money will become more interesting to the Chinese crowd. Good stuff. And who are your biggest enemies? Whew, uh, it's hard to know. I mean, I feel like we've definitely got some out there who, who, who don't like, uh, who, who want to keep our price down, but, um, how would they know. do that? Uh, on the exchange, my man. Uh, <laughs> and so we've definitely got some enemies out there. For example, why would you? Why? What's in it? I don't understand why. What's in it for somebody keeping your exchange down? Unless they're short. Oh, maybe stock. maybe you have a portfolio of coins that you uh, that you, that you want to have that you want to be valuable, and you feel like Decred threatens that some of those value propositions in some of your bags. I mean, it's that simple. But to to circle to you know enemies, I mean, it's like. Nobody seems to want to publish about us in CoinDesk or Cointelegraph and never really has, apart from a hit piece in Cointelegraph back in 2015 prior to our launch. So we're effectively blacklisted from the, uh, you know, from the uh, cryptocurrency uh, trade publications. So we've definitely got a lot of enemies out there. And, uh, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe they'll stop being enemies at some point, but I don't really anticipate that. Um, are you sure that they're enemies or have they just not noticed you? Uh, it's a long story. I don't want to get too far into it because it could affect my ability to uh, uh, politically resolve these things in the future. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, the, the, <laughs> the project is, is uh, Decred and uh, the project lead is the man I've been speaking to, Jake Joachim Pyatt. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for so generously giving us your time. It's a Saturday morning. I, I know you're supposed to be spending it with, uh, with the wife and kids. So is it one kid or lots of kids? It's two. Two, okay. So thanks for giving us your time, Jake. And uh, we wish you all the best of luck with the project. And if people want to find out more about Decred, how should they go about doing that what's the what's the best place to start you can start at decred.org we're also we also have chat net and chat networks you can get on at chat.decred.org uh we're also on twitter um at, you know at decred project so uh so you can find us on any of those places and you know hey if you want to engage or chat chat us up you're you're, you're welcome to drop in and 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 we can could you change chat. your name could you give yourself a sexier name what decred then decred yeah we could but you know it's it's complicated 
I mean, you know, okay. you got to change a million other things. You got to change domains. You got to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a mess. It's a rat hole. Okay. I've got you. Jake, Jake, you're compliant. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. It was a pleasure, Dominic. Thanks for having me on.